Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is John J.P. Podlasic of Game Dev Advice. I'm a 30-year veteran of the game development industry and have a podcast where I interview artists, animators, programmers, designers, CEOs, and all different types of people that work in the game development industry. Whether you're an aspiring or an experienced game developer, you'll find useful, thought-provoking, and sometimes funny advice on the podcast. So check it out. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Did you know that ArtCast is on Patreon? Well, now you do. So go check out patreon.com slash ArtCast for ways to help out the show and get some sweet perks in return. It could be something small, such as our $1 tier to show your support, or you could join one of our higher tiers to get a shout-out, pick an episode topic, or even be a part of the show as a special guest. Even just sharing our show to your friends goes a long way. So once again, that's patreon.com slash ArtCast. Thanks for helping us, and keep it retro. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another Retro Gaming Podcast. This is episode 185 of the Rcast. I am your host, David Gilton, and with me is a man who remembers the day when the snow turned to rain, Robert Workman. It is the day I couldn't drive my forklift. It was a very, very sad day. <laughs> uh, but indeed, today we are talking about all things Shenmue, because as you guys know, Shenmue 3 finally released, like five years after its surprise announcement during uh, Sony's press conference at E3, and... It's everything that everybody was hoping it would be, and today we're going to talk about all things in the series, and we brought in our good friend Matthew Kahn once again to talk with us about the game. Matt, how you doing, buddy? Hey, how you guys doing? Good to, good to be here. Now, remember the last time we spoke with you uh, was back during PAX West. This is when you were working on your game Neighborhood Watch, and uh, we talked quite a bit about what to expect from the game and everything, but uh, just wondering, before we begin on the show, did you have any sort of update on how that's coming along? Yeah, well, you know, there's actually a lot of, uh, I have my hands in a lot of different projects. We've been working on Neighborhood Watch, and actually since the last time that I showed it to you guys, we actually have moved the art style um, from being a purely 2D game to being kind of a hybrid 2D, 3D game. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, we've totally changed the art style. It looks a lot better. Uh, Now it has lighting, dynamic lighting, some really cool stuff. And, um, you know, at at this point now, we've actually kind of entered full production. So uh, we've been, you know, we built out a team and we've been working on it for the last couple months. And, um, you know, we don't have anything yet to really show. It's still, you know, a work in progress. But um, I think that we, uh, you know, just got back from New York. We we did some really good planning with the team. And I I think that you guys are really going to like the direction the game's going. So I've been working on that. And then uh, with Toe Jam and Earl, some really cool things are going on. We're about to uh, release the new vinyl for the game. Yeah, yeah. And Christmas is coming, Matt. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, We're about to release uh, plushes through the Yeti. Um, we have these really cool bomber jackets you can get that are going to be on sale starting on Black Friday. And there's a really, really cool new update that's coming to the game uh, starting in December, on December 1st. 
that is going to allow people to basically mess with the game by donating bits on Twitch to streamers. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> yeah. See, now that, that bomber jacket, David, I'm just going to pass you my Christmas list here and you just take care of that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. For sure. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely like see like how um, you know like the how you know how the game like turns out. I'm definitely excited to see like how you know how this is going to like you know play out like over time. Uh, we'll definitely have you like on like in you know in, in like a future episode too, like, you know, in order to talk about it, as well as like uh, its influences too, uh, namely with the SNES game Zombies Ate My Neighbors. So definitely very excited to, you know to learn more about Neighborhood Watch in the future. But for now, uh, we're definitely going to be talking about Shenmue. But before we talk about Shenmue, uh, we actually want to talk about Half Life. Uh, so there's a new Half-Life game that got announced, uh, surprise, surprise, but it's not quite the Half-Life game that people are expecting there, Robert. Yeah, it's not Half-Life 3. Apparently Gabe does not want to count to 3 yet, but what this is, it's VR, it's virtual reality. It's called Half-Life Alex, and we're going to actually get a good look at it. Uh, there should be a trailer and some gameplay footage available now. Uh, we're recording the night before, so we don't have eyes on, but by this point, players should have a pretty good idea of what to expect from the virtual reality experience. Now... On the one hand, it does beat nothing. It's good to see the series back in some aspect. But on the other, you know, people wanted Half-Life 3, you know, and this has been the butt of many jokes because like, oh, they can't count to three, you know, and right. thing <laughs> at the end of time. But, you know, it's all the same. This is a new entry and it is kind of a new direction of where Valve wants to go with some of its franchises. Who knows? We may get a VR portal. We might get a VR left for dead. You never know, but that's what I'm thinking. I mean, yeah. Cause I mean, they yeah. did announce that there were going to be more AAA VR titles that are coming out. So I imagine that, you know, that we will see like a VR portal and, um, you know, like, you know, and, you know, have like other games basically like, you know, from, from Valve uh, in that case. But with Half-Life Alex though, that's really interesting because you're going to be playing as Alex Vance, uh, who is like the young woman basically who you uh, had with you, uh, throughout like uh, throughout like Half Life Two, and yeah, th- that is always kind of the joke, Robert, as far as like you know Valve like not being able to like count up you know count up three. Um, you know, and it is, it is kind of like aggravating that they are not making a game that's continuing that story because obviously Half Life Two Episode Two left on a major cliffhanger um, that's been going on for like years now. So I don't know. I mean, like it is good at that. You know, we are seeing more Half Life, but you know, again, it's just uh, not quite what, what fans are wanting. But um, Matt, I was, I was kind of, you know, I was kind of curious on your thoughts, like with a new Half Life game coming out, but only for VR. So um, I actually, this is me flexing a little, but I actually knew about that there was a Half-Life VR game in development for a while. Mm, Um, And so I, you know, I was under the impression that it was Half-Life 3. And I thought the, I was under the impression that, that basically they were saving it until they had a new piece of VR technology that they could say that they're all in on Mm. and be like, and Hey, this is our launch title. And it's like, it's Mario 64 for, you know, N64, like everyone's going to buy the next real vibe if it's like, yeah, this is the only way you can play Half-Life 3. The killer app, if you will, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought that, that was kind of what they were saving for. And so t- in, in my mind, you know, I, I think I feel like this is sort of like a weird lateral move in that, like, you know, all you have to do is just call it Half-Life 3. I mean, and I get this, it's probably not at the same level of budget and scope that probably what Half-Life 3 would have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like, hmm. It's like CM Punk coming back to uh, WWE backstage. <laughs> yeah. It's like not. It's not the right. You know, like you only get one sh- like new next big impression, mm-hmm. and to kind of like limp out and be like, oh, we have this new Half Life Two game, a game that's fifteen years old. It doesn't really feel like that was like a big move. I mean, I guess like based on the um, leaked information that we got from it, uh, it does kind of make sense as far as where it takes place because it's supposed to take place between, I believe, Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2. 
so I believe this is supposed to be before Alex meets Gordon Freeman. Um, so she doesn't have the gravity gun, but she has the technology which is used in, gra- in, 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 these, um, in these gloves called the gravity gloves, basically. Um, so it's making use of the VR technology in a sense like where you basically put your, like, your hands out and like, things come, you know, come like, towards you. You can shoot it out just like how the gravity gun does, um, but through like your hands, basically. So it's kind of like Magneto powers, if you will, in Half-Life in that sense. So um, it's, it's definitely interesting, like, with what they're doing, and it does, I guess, make sense timeline-wise as far as, like, you know, the technology and all that stuff, but I don't know. I mean, like, you know, again, it's kind of like what you said. I mean, like, it's, you know, there's really only one chance, I guess, to bring back Half-Life, and, like, honestly, I do hope that this lead, you know, that this does lead into, uh, into, like, a Half-Life 3 or Episode 3 sometime down the, down the line, but... It's just kind of getting ridiculous now at this point. So. Well, I mean, it's beat, it beats nothing. This does bring back the franchise no fold. And before you go off on backstage there, do keep in mind, CM Punk destroyed Tom Arnold and Seth Rollins in the same shot. So I will take it. Just saying. <laughs> that, that was a lot of fun when he called him out. So I, No, I no. For sure. I mean, I, mean I, I think that it's less less from like, um. so, you know, I, I, I like to follow the uh, box office things, right? Right. And uh, Dr. Sleep bombed horribly. Oh, yeah. And so did Charlie's and, Angels. But. And so did Charlie's Angels. But Charlie's Angels is a different story. But with Doctor Sleep, I think legitimately all they had to do, and this would have been the difference between it being a box office hit and not, was call it The Shining 2 colon Doctor Sleep. Sleep yeah. yeah. It doesn't come off as being a sequel to The Shining. And I know that it's in the ads and stuff, but most people, like, it doesn't, it didn't connect for most people. Yeah. And, and I people think just hear, scene, like, Doctor Sleep and they're like, what the hell is that? So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, that, and now I feel like now the the entire franchise is like now you couldn't do a shining two because now you've already kind of you know blown that chance and so i think that you know it's not the same thing like obviously like if uh if the game is good and gets people excited about half-life again that's one thing but you know i i think that you get this big rush where everyone goes oh my god half-life is back they go oh it's a vr thing and it's like a small side story and you know and then and then but then next time when they do have something to announce it won't be as big of a pop Hmm. So in you know, the same way with like with CM Punk, if he were to come back at the Chicago show or whatever, you know, it's not going to be the same. Like, you know, he should have redebuted at a show and then they put him on on backstage, even if it's just to get that reaction once. Well, I mean, they Fox hired him. WWE didn't. Fox hired him. So they couldn't have him at a show. So that's why they brought him on backstage just off that. But I do understand what you're saying. Like in terms of way that something is labeled or the way that something is set up, I think that's kind of why Charlie's Angels bombed is because it was completely different from the previous two movies and Elizabeth Banks didn't really capitalize on it as much as she should have. And yet she blames superhero movies. But this is a different topic for like a movie podcast or something, which by the way, we do have with our network over there, yeah. retrosapp.com. But, but, you, but, but I mean, it was, yeah, but it was a fascinating last couple of weeks because you had, you know, that movie, you had Dr. Sleep, and then you had Terminator, and basically were writing about this is the obituary for Terminator. And that's three big franchises in a row that have all failed on the heels of The Joker, which, you know, was the, the biggest movie of the last, you know, decade now. Yeah, yeah I like know. A billion dollars, pretty, yeah. But it just goes to show, like, you, you knew you can bring something back. It's just a matter of how you bring it back. I think Half-Life will be a hit with the VR crowd, but I think there's still going to be those bitter few to be like, hey, Gabe, I'm going to buy you a clock, and it's just going to have threes on it, and we're going to see <laughs> if you can count to three, you know? So I guess, you know, people will find a way to try to repackage something to make it work. I personally liked Dark Fate, but, you know, with Genesis being as awful as it was, you know, people just won't go back to Terminator ever. So, you know. Right, right. Well, that, that happened with me with three, honestly. Like, I, I went, you know, I was so excited to go see three. I saw it opening weekend. 
And then it was like, I don't think I ever want to watch any more Terminator movies anymore. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like such a shaky foundation. How do you build upon that? And, you know, Half-Life technically has that shaky foundation because it's building on these brilliant games, yet we haven't seen anything new on it in years. And when we do see something new on it, it's more of a virtual reality experience than a full-on game. So, of course, it's going to have that mixed reception. But personally, I, I think, you know, the people that want to enjoy it will enjoy it. And the people that don't, well, they got their classic games. Yeah. Well, hopefully Valve will listen to like the fans sometime down the road as far as like, you know, actually seeing a continuation of the story, because that's really the, you know, like, like the whole reason, honestly, that people want to see a new Half-Life game is to have that story continue, really, and like have those characters come back in a big way. Um, people love Alex Vance, but I mean, I guess we'll kind of like wait and see whether or not that will be like a big hit and whether this will be the big killer app, I guess, that VR needs. So yeah. we'll wait yeah. and see on that. Um, but the other big news uh, here that we want to talk about here as well is that N64 sales are spiking, apparently, uh, especially on eBay. Uh, so apparently on eBay, uh, they reported that console sales rocketed up 205% over last year. So um, there are a number of reasons why this may have happened. I mean, certainly there is a renewed interest in retro gaming in more recent history. Uh, but if I had to guess, I would probably say it's from our friends at Eon Gaming there, right? Yeah, I was about to say Super 64 definitely played a part in that because that is a pretty rad device that puts it, you know, outputs it in HD and with a nice little HDMI support there. So we definitely recommend that device. But let's be honest, a lot of people are tired of today's gaming scene and having to download a 25 gig update to make Call of Duty work or whatever. So a lot of these people, they're turning to classic games for their party fix. You know, it's got Goldeneye, it's got Star Fox 64, it's got a number of games that you you could play in four player with ease. You know, I, I can't think of anybody who would ever turn down a party session of Mario tennis. You know, they're, they're, it's impossible. <laughs> it's literally impossible. And if it is possible, get out of my house. You get some No Mercy and WrestleMania 2000 as yeah, well. I mean, the old there's school a lot w- of great games on there. Compared to WWE 2K20, which is completely broken. And I yeah. don't ever want to touch it again. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, busted. So, yeah, I would rather play the N64 wrestling games. I mean, I think there's just a general nurse in a system that's ready to go, has the games that work, glitches and all, and is just an experience that's, you know, just as affordable, you know, you could, I mean, like even the, like the most expensive games in the system, like Goldeneye, the golden cartridge of Legends, Zelda, Ocarina of Time, they run like what, 40, 50 bucks. So you yeah. still get like the quintessential experiences without really breaking your wallet. So yeah, I mean, I'm definitely on board that train, you know, all aboard. But what I want to know is when it's going to happen with the Dreamcast. Mm, that yeah. deserves the exposure as well. That's what <laughs> we're all waiting for, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Come on back uh, so, Matt, do you have, like, a lot of love for the N64 yourself? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, look, I, I think that this is just a classic case of, you know, this is just economics. You know, in five years, we're going to see the same rush for GameCube. You know, as as people who, you know, I, I grew up with the N64, you know, I think maybe I was, like, 11 or something around there. And so, you know, now I'm in a place where I'm, like, 32. And for people like us where, you know, now we're finally starting to hit a time in our life where we either might have extra income or we are, you know, really feeling nostalgia for that, you know, that, that time period. And so I think that now you're seeing people with that money start to buy those things up. And I think that, you know, in the same way, like in, in five years, you know, we're going to be really, really nostalgic for that mid 2000s thing or that the people, you know, who grew up with that are going to be in the same position that we are. It just seems like something that something old like that always has an opportunity to come back, which is why we have a show like this. So we can take a look back at something old like this, you know, so people won't go, what is this Shenmue series about? Well, that's what we're here to explain. Right. Well, I mean, and, and you know, and I think that what we're going to, it's even though things are moving digitally, you know, we're still going to have where, 
you know, there might be kids who literally are being born right now who want to in 20 years to play PT and they, you know, they got to go through jumps, they have to jump through hoops to find it. So there always will be a rare, mar I mean, a market for rare and hard to find games. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially like when games are kind of like in that unique spot, I guess, in media where you can only play certain games on certain like platforms and consoles and all that. So as long as that's always a thing, then then the, then like the collectability of games will always be high, I feel like. So for sure. Yeah. And, and I, well, I actually think that limited run games, I mean, that's part of the whole business model is that, hey, you know, in 15, 20 years, if you want to play this Toe Jam Roll back in the groove on PS4 or whatever, you don't know if the servers are going to be up anymore, you know, like mm -hmm. it could be completely broken. So that disc, those, you know, 10,000 copies or whatever that were made, that might be literally the only way you could play it unless you have an old PS4 that had the digital file. Or if they're made available on platforms on like a digital scale anyway, uh, in like the future, who knows? I mean, like the Switch has been like really great with that as far as like allowing um, a lot of like old school games to play on the console and like, you know, being able to play like games from all sorts of different generations uh, in order to make that happen. So like it's, uh, it's, it's a really interesting time for sure that we're living in with that. Um, which brings me to like the next story here, actually, because uh, now there is a team here uh, over at this um, this company called Croxel, uh, who is apparently making it where you could play with Rob the Robot on your modern TVs um, through these 3D printed goggles, which apparently snap onto like Rob's face, uh, blocking out all external light entirely. And uh, basically, the robot only sees like a single red LED that flashes the same command signals that CRT TVs use. So basically, Rob the Robot kind of like worked the same way as like the NES Zapper in a lot of ways, like it where he uses like the light that was uh, reflected from like the back of the CRT TVs. Um, and since obviously we, uh, you know, we don't use those TVs anymore, um, then this is like a way in order to kind of make Rob work, um, which is really interesting because like, you know, again, like it has like the, the goggles over Rob and then you use like an app basically on your phone that makes it look like an NES controller in order to control Rob just like how he used to pretty much. Um, so Robert, I have to ask you, how much do you want to play with Rob in 2019? Okay, it's funny that we mentioned Terminator because this is how Skynet gets started. <laughs> you know, it starts with Rob, then next thing you know, it's military systems and then we're overrun. They got the NES zappers out and there's a whole Rob like like a whole army of robs with any staffers coming down like washington dc dropping markers <laughs> and crushing new york in the process yeah that's exactly, exactly what's yeah. happening i mean this is a neat little app and everything and it is a, a sweet little way to interact with your rob robot if you happen to have one but i mean obviously first off you need to make sure you can print the 3d goggles properly and number two you need to make sure you have the led so this is like a science experiment that's fun to watch but i really don't know how many people will actually try it uh, it'd be pretty neat just to see like these people experiment. I don't know. Something goes wrong. Rob chokes the mother-in-law or something. I don't know. You know <laughs> something goes amok, but I mean, it, it is a neat experiment there. And if Croxel like provided a way to like make this work with consumers, then it'd probably be a neat way to revive Rob sales. If people can track them down at an affordable price, cause it's pretty collect good collector's item. That's a thing. So I mean, this is clearly for just the hardcore collector yeah, audience that really want robots to rule their lives. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, so, exactly, exactly. But it is kind of neat. It is pretty neat, I think. So, Matt, like, I was curious, like, if you've ever used Rob the Robot at all in your life. Uh, no, I didn't have it growing up. Uh, you know, my 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 roommate has it, and I've like played with it, but like never like actually in the I think in the intended setting of like playing gyromate might and like right. you know. So I I I wish I could have grown up with it. I think that would have blown my mind as a kid if I had it. But it's kind of tough going back and looking at it because it's just so I don't know. It's it's so bizarre because it <laughs> it is like such a 
uh, it uses such a physical like it relies on reality so much. Yeah, that, like if you watch, if you we're watch, all about like, the, the virtual uh, reality at this point. Yeah. Well, like, well, you know, like as a, as a gamer, you get used to like I know that if I do this, that this other thing is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And when you're playing with like tops and stuff, it's like well, depending on different weather conditions or like you know depending on how if how tuned it's like a, almost like a pinball game where depending on how good the rob is or in what condition it is, it might make it harder you know like or or things might mess up or you know the top might fall over and it's just kind of uh i don't know i mean uh, it's kind of quirky in that way but i i like my games i like to know what's going on Um, i mean i'm kind of surprised that rob isn't like a big hit at jewish parties with like the dreidels and everything just like just drop them down (laughs) and spin them around so dreidel 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 (laughs) exactly But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like, a very unique um, kind of, like, invention here, for sure, like, in order to make Rob uh, work for modern TV. So we'll see, like, how that works out uh, once once that's released yeah, and all but that, I'll so. tell you what's <laughs> not going to be um, a struggle to convince David to take part of, and that is picking up this neat little album from Materia Collective. Uh, they have announced a Chrono Cross tribute album to celebrate the game's 20th anniversary. It is a sweet little set uh, that celebrates the music of Yasunori Mitsuda. And uh, I mean, David, you, I, I showed you this and you were like, yes, please. Thank you. Twice. You know, so <laughs> you, you were pretty much on board because it has like a number of original tracks, but also has reimaginings of the music of Chrono Cross, including full orchestra, bluegrass and solo piano. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, because um, Chrono Cross, like, isn't, like, my favorite game by far. I mean, like, you know, certainly Chrono Trigger is, like, way above it for me. Uh, but Chrono Cross is good, and, and, and certainly like, the music in it is good, for sure. Um, so, I mean, like, it's really cool to see someone, like, make, like, their own, uh, like, album, basically, to, uh, to like, celebrate that. Like, especially with, with the game's... Um, with the 20th anniversary of the game. So, um, and what's pretty cool too, is that like David Peacock here who runs, um, who runs like the Materia Collective, uh, he has worked on like other albums here called the Hero of Time, which I believe is based on the Ocarina of Time, uh, Johto Legends, which I believe that's Pokemon, if I remember correctly, uh, as well as Undertale and Pokemon Red and Blue Piano Collections too. So, um, so it's pretty cool. So like he's, you know, he, he definitely has like a history with like this orchestral musical edition of video game soundtracks, which is really neat. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, you know, to seeing how this turns out. Yeah. I mean, it should be a really cool album. Matthew, are you, you familiar with Chrono Cross at all? Did the music kind of stick out for you? I, uh, I actually was just at Tommy Tellerico's show uh, the other day and they were oh, playing, nice. a, you know, some songs from Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger and, you know, I, I, I it's kind of a shame of mine, I guess, that I never really got into Chrono Trigger. Like, I played it a little what? bit as a kid. <laughs> and I, I don't know what it was about it. I mean, I think as a kid, maybe I just was a little too young when I started playing it because I, you know, I just, I it was sometime around the time that I had beaten Earthbound and Super Mario RPG. And, you know, with this, you know, it starts off at the, at the carnival and you do all this stuff, but then you go and you can, like, you know, go through time and you can immediately go to, the like, the final boss. Right. And I, uh, I remember doing that and I, you know, immediately dying. And then I got like frustrated because I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do. Um, and <laughs> that so was like I a two hour did... game, basically. Or... <laughs> yeah. And I kind of was like, oh, this sucks. Um, you know, so and I think it was, it's tough because then you know, right after that, Final Fantasy VII came out and it was really hard to think to go back. Because like after that, I was like, oh, you know, people are like, oh, you got to play Final Fantasy three. You got to 3D like, and you know, all that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. It's so hard to go back. Like, you know, they don't move. And then when I'm playing Final Fantasy seven and eight, they move around. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but I don't know. I think that now that I'm older, now that I, I could play it with like, you know, save states and, and, and like double speed, you know, and all that stuff, yeah, I, I should just take the dive. 
Yeah, I, I mean, like, especially with, with Chrono Trigger anyway, because, like, that's one of the shorter RPGs that you could play, because, um, I mean, I think if you if you really wanted to, like, run through it, you could definitely do it in, like, about 20 hours, maybe a little bit less. Um, otherwise, if you take your time with it, you could certainly spend, like, 30 to 40 hours easily. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's a great game, I and mean, it's my favorite game of all time, personally. Uh, Chrono Cross just had... I don't know. It, it, it was it had the uh, unlucky distinction, I guess, of following up with it, but not being a direct sequel. So people who are fans of Chrono Trigger just weren't generally going to be driving with it, I guess. Um, there is like a part of Chrono Cross where it does have some of the returning characters in there, and there are certainly some themes that connect the two games. But you know, it's for you know, for all intents and purposes, it's a completely different game that just happens to be in the same franchise. Um, you know, that's like with Chrono Cross, I've only played through it once and I had a pretty bad taste in my mouth. I remember like when I did beat it because I remember beating the game and then I just kind of got like a black screen ending and I wasn't quite sure like what happened. So um, I still have to like play through it like a second time at least, so, you know, so as to kind of get like a better understanding as far as like what I'm doing and all that stuff. So I, you know, have to put more time into it. But at the very least, if you do enjoy the music of Chrono Trigger and certainly of, of Chrono Cross, this is definitely an album that you want to check out. I believe it's available right now, uh, actually, uh, digitally as well as on vinyl, and there's a CD version as well. So uh, that'll be in the show notes there if you want to check that out. Welcome. And that's going to lead us now to the part of the show called What Are You Playing? We'll get some games we've all been playing or have recently beat. So, Matt, with you being a special guest, why don't you tell us what you've been playing? Yeah, well, uh, I've been reconnecting America. Um, I'm playing as a young, <laughs> a young man named Sam Porter Bridges. Mm-hmm. and I've traversing- never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, traversing across uh, our desolate wasteland that we once called the United States of America. And, um, trying Is that to present day, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm playing that, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I have feelings about it. You know, I, I think that, you know, Kojima is, is Tarantino and that, you know, his, yes. his, his, his handprints are all over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100%. And, and, you know, there's, I think he's doing a lot of things that are very, like, the things that I think people are looking for and they're getting frustrated that they're not finding, um, you know, in terms of it, it's not Metal Gear Solid. Uh, but it, it, it does feel a lot like Metal Gear Solid V in that it's a lot of planning, you know, it's a lot of, oh, what, what weapons or what things do I need to do to go to the, on this trip? What should I be building? What materials should I bring? Right. Um, you know, like, do I need, do I need a gun? Do I, do I should have climbing gear? And so I think there's a lot of fun in the gameplay loop once you get to that point. Um, and I think that the social elements in a way are the future of gaming in that, you know, it basically, we had Farmville. We had all these social games that were not real games, but they, they they grew big because they had that social element to them. And then they kind of died off because people realized that they weren't real games. And I think that now we're starting to see real games like Death Stranding incorporate these social elements. And I think that that's, in a way, I think that we're going to see a lot more of that in other games. So where does this rank then, as far as like you know, games of this year for you? Because obviously there was like the big news with like the game awards and like we know with like the games are nominated for game of the year, and certainly Death Stranding has a lot of representation just like throughout like a whole bunch of categories. I know. Um, so where does Death Stranding uh, like land for you, at least at this current moment? Yeah, I, I'd say it's a toss up between that and Sekiro. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I think that. At first, I wanted to disqualify Sekiro because, you know, it's all, oh, it's, it's a Dark Souls-like, but it really isn't. I mean, it is in that it has some common elements, but it is such a different game in the way that the strategy that you have to fight bosses and the strategy that you approach it, and it's really very different. And there's no online component like in, in Dark Souls. 
Um, and it just was so there's, I had so many magical moments playing Sekiro, like being the final boss. And it's, it was, it was magical. And I think Death Stranding is, I, I think it's, it's between those two. Uh, I love Resident Evil 2, but you know, it's again, it just felt like it was a, I don't know if they really did that much beyond what, like, it felt like exactly what they should have done and nothing more. Hmm. I mean, it, it like, at least for Resident Evil 2 remake, uh, it definitely um, felt like the perfect remake to a game. Like, that's like basically how every remake should be done. Um, so in a lot of ways, I mean, it's kind of like my game of the year anyway, because it, it basically improved upon the original game in every conceivable fashion. Um, you know, and as far as like revamping the Resident Evil franchise, as far as like the Resident Evil that a lot, you know, that a lot of people grew up on. So that was kind of like a big I, part I, of it. I actually, well, okay. So I, my, I disagree in that Mr. X should not have been involved in both scenarios because mm. him being only in the Claire scenario made it special and made the Leon, you know, scenario a completely different, not Leon, I'm sorry, Chris, right? That's um, Leon. It's Leon. Leon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, Leon's at four. Okay. Um, two and four. Uh, but yeah, Leon's scenario, you know, is a lot more based around, you know, the Ada Wong story and the action elements, and you know, and Claire's is 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 more about avo- avoiding Mr. X. And by having in both both things, it kind of dilutes that, and it also makes a lot of the the special moments that should be special less special because you see them basically four times. You got to play four the story four times. And I also didn't really feel like there was much difference between the uh, the A and the B sides of, of character stories? Not too much. I mean, as far as, like, just, like, the challenge, really. But there there were, like, certain differences. I mean, you know, especially, like, how you start the game, anyway. Right. Um, but um, did you get, like, when Mr. X broke through the presentation wall that happened yes. to you? Yes. Yeah. So, like, things like that. And then the, then in the next playthrough in the B side, that, that wall is open. Right. There was only, like, that one real big thing. And I, if that, there was, like, three or four of, of stuff like that, then I would have felt like there would have been a good reason to make me play through it twice on mm. each player. I mean, I played through it four times myself and, um, you know, just going through like both scenarios of both characters and the hunk mode as well. And, um, you know, like, you know, I, I absolutely enjoyed it. I mean, you know, the whole thing with like Mr. X, I mean, I, I do like how they incorporated more of him in there, like not to make this like a whole, whole discussion anyway, but, um, I, I do enjoy that. And like, you know, that's again, kind of part of like, you know, do making it like kind of like a remake in that sense, like where they could like reimagine some things and, um, you know, kind of change around the storyline a bit, like, especially like when you're playing as Ada and you have to deal with Mr. X that, you know, like during her part too. Um, so you always have like Mr. X as like this constant force that you have to like watch out for no matter who you're playing as, um, which certainly, uh, you know, changes around, I guess, like how people kind of like, you know, view him, I guess, in that sense. So how about you there, Robert? What have you been playing? Uh, let's go rapid fire here. Cause I got five games I'm going to go through. <laughs> um, first one's called Valferis. Uh, this is a side scrolling, hardcore shoot em up by the team over there. Big sugar. It's got like a heavy metal theme to it and it's hard as shit, but I'll tell you what, I really like the soundtrack. I really like the colors because it like, it's way more colorful than your typical shooter. And it's a lot of fun. It's just you have to realize you're going to die often in this game. But anybody who plays a hardcore shooter like this knows that's part of the territory. So something like this is definitely good for you uh, fans of action platformers. I definitely recommend this one. Uh, The next game I've been working on is Jumanji, the video game. This was uh, courtesy (laughs) of my friends over there at Outright Games. Uh, you know how they make like licensed movie games and they're not quite up to their full potential. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel that with this, but by the same token, it's, it's not terrible. I mean, if you can get a good co-op group going or, you know, if you want to play alongside your kids or whatever, 
this is a decent action game, but it just didn't really have anything entirely memorable like the movies did. So it's I, bad, I it but just, not as bad as it could have been. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's average license fair, you know, and I really expected a little more out of it. And that kind of ties in with the next game, uh, Terminator Resistance. Now, this actually won't be out in the U.S. till December 10th, but I was able to get a European code uh, from my friends over there at Taeyeon. And uh, it's sort of like a Call of Duty game. It's like first-person shooter where you go up against Terminator forces and you help others to survive. I'm still light on this one, but so far it's actually not too bad. You know, not as bad as other licensed Terminator fare on the market there. I mean, it does have like some forgettable things. Like you try to have conversations with people and they're like, screw that. I want to shoot a T-800, you know, but by the same token, um, it's also not bad in terms of production values and gameplay. So I'm still going to work on this one for a little while, but so far it's not bad. Um, of course, I got to give Shinmu 3 a shout out. I'm still only about half an hour in, but I'm going to play more tonight. I'll let you guys know next week how I think about it. Um, I will bring up this game called Children of Morta. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a great adventure game from the team over there at 11 Bit Studios. And uh, it basically follows a family as they uh, as they basically go through like uh, situations involving corruption that's spread across their land. And the family is known as the Guardians of the Mountain Morta. And they have to stand up to the ancient evil. So think like Belmonts, but without vampires, but with families that are still badasses anyway. But as like know, a top-down like dungeon crawler action game kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but it's really well done, like beautifully colored and everything. It definitely is challenging, but, you know, there are different upgrades that you can use to make your family members more badass. You know, mm-hmm. there are different weapons that you can pick up. It's really a great deal of fun provided you can handle the challenge level. So I definitely recommend it if you're looking for like a Zelda-esque experience. Uh, that and Sparklight, which I talked a little bit about last week. I think Sparklight's pretty radical too. The final game I'll bring up is Bubble Bobble for Friends. Now this won't be out till quarter one 2020 here, but I went ahead and imported the European version because I can't wait for anything apparently. <laughs> and uh, this is the four-player Bubble Bobble uh, sequel uh, that Taito produced. Uh, it's like Ninja Saviors. It takes a classic game and it builds upon it with, with like a bunch of new stages, a bunch of new gameplay elements. You know, co-op is really cool, but it's a lot of fun from what I played so far. And then on top of that, you can like dive back into the classic game as well, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah, it's not out in the U.S. yet. It won't be out till like quarter one 2020. But if you're bored like me, you can import it from the European eShop. I think it's like 40 bucks and it's well worth it if you're a fan of Bubble Bobble. So check that out. Cool. And yeah, that's what I've been playing. Uh, what about you, David? What have you been playing? Uh, so, of course, I've been playing through Shenmue 3. Um, I don't know how many hours I have in it. I probably have like about like, I don't know, four or five hours in it right now. Um, so this game legit feels like it came right after Shenmue 2 as far as like how it plays, like how it sounds, not so much how it looks because obviously like the graphics are improved upon from like the original games. Uh, but otherwise, this is very much a Shenmue game for better or for worse, depending on how you feel about the original games. If you really, really love how Shenmue 1 and Shenmue 2 played, you will love this. And there are certainly some like changes that kind of like make it like a little more streamlined in some cases, not so much in others, particularly in the menus. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a Shenmue game. And this is basically the game that Shenmue fans like myself... Uh, have been waiting for for almost 20 years now at this point. Uh, it's just great to see that this game finally has come out and I'm just soaking it all in pretty much. And and I even found a Sega Saturn in the game. <laughs> so, nice! Um, can't play it though, huh? Uh, you can't play it, no. But I mean, it's just kind of like a little bit of a callback to uh, Shenmue 1 uh, where you could find the Sega Saturn in your house, basically. It's like in the drawer underneath your TV. Uh, basically, you find the Sega Saturn in the uh, the back of a uh, of like a monk's temple, basically. So, 
it's just like full of like this you know this like artwork and these like statues or whatever like things that that the temple has collected over time and then all of a sudden there's like a saturn in there too so uh it's pretty cool so def- definitely check that out if you've been uh itching for more shenmue it's it, it won't disappoint in that regard um, and the other game I've been playing also is Night in the Woods. Uh, so this is a game I've been wanting to play for a while and just, uh, you know, just kind of decided to start playing it. Um, I don't quite know what to make of it just yet. Um, I, I'm still very early on in it. Um, but one thing I do definitely like is the music and rhythm sections in it where you can play the, you know, play your bass guitar and, um, you know, just, you know, basically like hit the buttons in time, like to the music and all that stuff. Uh, that's a really cool part of it. Otherwise, like the rest of it is kind of like just, you know, exploring around your town talking to people and kind of progressing the story in a very natural way and i'm not quite sure how to react to that yet but it is actually kind of a very shenmue like experience i guess in that regard so i'm definitely enjoying that for now and uh here's a game that you could possibly enjoy as well Uh, this is yonder the cloud catcher chronicles on xbox one so unwind and enjoy the slow life in Yonder the Cloudcatcher Chronicles. Explore a relaxing open-world adventure game set in the world of Gamiya, a natural island paradise with eight distinct environments ranging from tropical beaches to snow-capped summits. As the hero of Gamiya, you can barter with friendly locals, discover unique materials to craft with, befriend the adorable wildlife, and even create your own working farm. Yonder offers a world to lose yourself in that's filled with the wonder of discovery and the spirit of adventure. So if that sounds like a jam, definitely jump on this. Uh, again, this is an Xbox One code. The code is 4XFPF7D44CJ3KR7TJCX37DFMZ. Again, that's uh what was that again so again that's yonder the cloud catcher chronicles on xbox one enjoy and if you do redeem that definitely let us know at arc podcast on twitter welcome back to the stage of history and with that we have the stage of history which is a celebration of retro titles at the service spot for better or for worse in the pantheons of history so i figure since we are talking about the shenmue series we'll talk about the other shenmue game that we have not talked about in the stage of history uh which is shenmue 2 so shenmue 2 is a 2001 action adventure game by sega am2 the original Dreamcast version was only released in Japan and Europe. Classic arcade titles like Hang On, Afterburner, Space Harrier, and Outrun are playable within the game. And in 2008, it was voted the 10th best game of all time by IGN readers. So nice job there, IGN readers. <laughs> so uh, so we'll start with you there, Matt. Uh, have you played, or uh, actually, what, what are your thoughts on Shenmue 2? You know, I... Uh, I'm only about, I don't know, 60% of the way through the game. Oh, really? Um, okay, I thought you played through yeah. it already. Yeah, so I, I played through all one, and I've been, you know, I was playing through two to, you know, get ready for three, and so I'm, I'm waiting to play three until I finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I've gotten, you know, the hang of, I think, I think I've basically seen the, the, the larger elements of the gameplay. Um, you know, it, I, I, this game was so innovative at the time, you know, both one and two, and it's it's weird going back to it now because it's there's so many things there that are archaic, uh, <laughs> archaic, but not re- but they're not really archaic. It's just archaic in that uh, you know I, I think that we figured out better ways to do it. But it's really fascinating as you know every, whenever you get a clue that all the different things that you that you ask people change, and so now all of a sudden you're going after every single person saying, oh, do you know where this temple is? Oh, do you know this or that? Yeah. You know, I think that if the game didn't pad itself with all these, like, hey, carry these, carry these boxes, you know, carry these books, oh, all this God, stuff, the box like, carrying parts, yeah, yeah, <laughs> all this stuff doesn't matter, and I, you know, I, I really don't want to have to waste my time, and you can't even like skip it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you take all that out, 
and you can just kind of run through the story. It's so good. And, you know, like I remember it was like, you know, they had the thing where it's like, oh, I'm looking for the, the master and it ends up being a lady. And it's like, whoa, what a twist. Right. Like, yeah. man, that was, I think that would have been more of a twist like 20 years ago. You know, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, I just remember that, that was really funny that you get a trophy for that. <laughs> She's a lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robert, have you played much Shenmue 2? I have, but it was like years ago. And I remember playing it specifically on the Dreamcast. But when it came out in the U.S., you guys may recall, it came out exclusively for the Xbox. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the time, obviously, now you can play it in the you know HD version for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. But at the time, like Xbox got a hold of it and really capitalized upon it. its kind of, quote unquote, exclusive release, even though you could play it on the Dreamcast if you knew somebody who could import it from a European shop. And well, that was like a big reason, honestly, why I picked up the original Xbox to begin with, because it basically felt like a continuation of the Dreamcast with Shenmue 2 and also Jet Set Radio Future. So yeah. those are like the big games that sold me on it. Not not so much Halo, but it was really those two games. You know? Yeah, I mean, I remember like the adventure was a lot of fun. I, I had a good time with it. And the 3D fighting system was really nailed down, capturing that virtual fighter sort of vibe. But for me, it was all about the side activities, you know, gambling and arm wrestling, you know, and playing afterburner and hang on for hours and then collecting those little capsule toys. Yes, those <laughs> were pretty radical. You know, like I can solve my father's murder in a minute. I just have to collect these things, you know, <laughs> focus but yeah it was uh it was really cool like how the adventure came along you know like and when we got to the end part and everything was like oh we don't know when the story is going to continue and everything and then we had the announcement but we'll get into that but yeah i i think at the time it really did continue upon the first game and it did really well um and i think i don't know why i i think like sega expected it to sell better than it did i probably because it didn't really sit in the dreamcast here because there was only Xbox here. So I, I think they were kind of disappointed, and that's why it took Shenmue 3 forever to come out. But, I mean, by the same token, like, you you didn't have an experience like this at the time, something that was grounded in reality and yet still had its own level of fantasy, you know, right. which, which is something you just rarely see in games anymore. You know, it's not like you can follow a dentist and all of a sudden he's battling ninjas. Nobody makes a game like that. <laughs> Obviously, well, they, for should. They, they should have <laughs> called it. They should have called that Doctor Sleep. Just so yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, by the same token, it's just a matter of uh, just the way it was presented and, and the, the way it really represented on the Xbox. You know, as one of its first titles, it did really well with the hardware in mind. You put in the coins and then you get the toys. And that's going to lead us now to Obscura. Oh, yes. And for Obscura, I mean, I, I didn't really have any rare Shenmue games that we could cover. So I instead decided to cover something that Ryo Hazuki was in, and that is Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing. Uh, this is a racing game that was made by Sumo Digital and released in 2010. So it's not too much of a retro game, but it's still old enough to be considered old school. Uh, and what it was is that Ryo Hazuki became available as an unlockable character in the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 versions of the game. And the way it worked was when you activated his super, he drove around in a forklift as you, as you normally would, you know, <laughs> but the game as a whole featured like a wide variety of cast members from Sega games. Obviously it included uh, Banjo-Kazooie in the Xbox 360 version as part of a crossover thing there, but there were other characters as well, including Tails and Amy Rose from the Sonic world, uh, Gilius Thunderhead from Golden Axe. Yes, he could drive. Uh, Dr. Eggman. I mean, just each of them had vehicles that were based upon their characters. 
And, you know, it was a fun game. Obviously, I, like, transformed more because it kind of opened up the world and the ability to enjoy gameplay more. But this really did set the standard in terms of, like, a Sega All-Stars racing sort of game. I mean, why they stood Sonic out is beyond me, probably because the recognizable name. But they covered a number of franchises. You know, you had Super Monkey Ball. You had House of the Dead, Jets at Radio Future, Samba de Amigo. I mean, it, it covered a lot of Sega bases. Not as much as transformed it, but it definitely started expanding them out there. And having Rio as a part of that was really cool, you know, like, especially when you got the forklift, because every, who doesn't want to race a forklift? That That's like <laughs> one of the reasons you picked up Shenmue in the first place. Right. <laughs> of course. So, yeah, I mean, this is a fun little uh, arcade. Game. And then it's not backward compatible. Transformed is, but this one is not. But you can play it on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. And I believe there's also a uh, uh, Nintendo DS and Wii version of it. Yes, yeah, because I remember playing like those versions of it, and they they actually hold up very well. So yeah, yeah, I mean it's a fun little game and everything. So I I really enjoy this one. So uh, yeah, worth checking out again if you can find a copy for cheap. Uh, Matthew, you play uh, Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing at all? No, no. I you know I I remember that talking to Greg about um, Greg, the co-creator of Toe Jam and Earl, and I guess there was some there was discussion with Sega about putting the boys in there, yeah. and for whatever reason it didn't go through. Um, and so, yeah, I think that 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 if I, you know, and it's weird because even before I worked on Toe Jam and Earl, I think that if if that game had Toe Jam and Earl, that would have actually pushed me over the edge to playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it not having it, it's just like, man, you know, I don't know how, like, how you can like once Mario Kart is out there, like, why should anyone else even try? Like, unless you're gonna do something totally different, like even like Diddy Kong Racing did something different. That you know, I don't really get like why you would like every all these other kart racers like. It's yeah, that like game over. Like the best one is out. <laughs> I mean, as far yeah. as like Mario Kart clones, I feel like it's one of the better ones for sure. But that's not really saying much either. Um, but if you're looking for something different, that's a kart racer. Certainly, Crash Team Racing is up there. I mean, you know, as far as like how it plays and like the way you have to turn and all that stuff, it's very different in that regard. Yeah, it's definitely up there in terms of that. And then it's funny you mentioned the Toe Jam and Earl thing because he did try to get them back in. I think he tried to get back on the phone with Sega. As you said there, but eventually the game was so late in development they couldn't get them at it anyway. Uh, but hey, at least we have Toe Jam and Earl in the uh, in the Sega Genesis Classics games. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, maybe they'll do a Genesis Classic too, and we can get uh, our second game in there. Or how about mm. a, how about a, a Sega All Stars Racing Remix and add them in there, and add Rystar in there. Rystar is only doing the flag thing, but he needs to be a driver. Like if there's a tight turn, you know, st- extend his hand and grab a pole, and just you know u- use that to drift. Well, I mean, if they add in like Toe Jam and Earl, like what what if they also add in Macaulay Culkin as a racer too? <laughs> hey, you know, yeah, you can get the whole package: Toe Jam, Earl, Macaulay Culkin, uh, Lamont, the Funkopotamus. We got it, got it all. <laughs> yeah, and you know, he could throw a paint can at enemies. You know, it worked pretty well. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name's Richard Moss, and I make a podcast called The Life and Times of Video Games. It's a narrative and documentary-style show about games' history and how the medium has evolved over time. Each episode or bonus interview soundbite delves into some aspect of the ups and downs of the industry, or the design, development, and legacy of the best or most interesting games ever made. It's all carefully edited, complete with original music and sound design, and a mix of interviews and deep research. All set up to tell you a great story about the secret worlds behind or within video games. I hope you enjoy the show. (music) 
And that's going to lead us now to our main topic, which is celebrating the Shenmue franchise. And uh, I figure we'll start this off actually with why the original game is historically significant. Um, I'll just kind of start off like just saying like it was the first game I remember picking up, like looking at the back of the jewel case and uh, seeing on like the ratings and seeing that there was like drug use involved. And that was like the very first time I think I ever saw that like drug and alcohol use in the game. I'm like... I didn't even know that was like a thing in the ratings or whatever, a thing in video games, oh, yeah. whatever that could be like picked up on, you know. So, oh, you remember when everybody went nuts when um, Solid Snake was smoking the cigarette in Metal Gear Solid Four? Yeah, I mean that that freaked me out too at, at the time. I was just like, whoa, a video game character who smokes like that's that's so taboo like back then, you know? It was so crazy. But you know, as far as like with like Shenmue though. Um, when actually playing it, I remember it was like the first game I remember playing that had QTEs, and that was kind of like a big part of it, like the quick time events. Um, you know, as far as like you know, popularizing that that whole uh, gameplay mechanic and other games like after it. Uh, certainly, also popularizing like having like an open area that you can explore in that had like a you know day night cycle and having like NPCs with their own schedules that you know that they abide by. Uh, so, you know, as well as like the weather changing and all that stuff. Like all that was just, like so fresh at the time that you just never saw that like in a game. So it really kind of felt like that you were living in this, you know, in this living and breathing town, basically that, that you know, that you were in and, you know, you had to go like around and explore. You had to see people at certain times, like people were available at certain times and not at other times. Like it, it was just crazy to me. Um, so Matt, I was kind of curious as far as like, you know, what really jumped out at you, I guess, when you first played the, the original Shenmue. Yeah. Uh, I remember, um, I was super excited for it. I had a Dreamcast. I got it on, you know, in 99. Um, and I think I got Shenmue for Christmas in 99. And I was so excited. I remember reading all about it and how, you know, it has $20 million budget and it's super realistic and, you know, whatever. And um, I remember trying to show my grandmother and be like, look, see, like video games aren't like Pac-Man and stuff. Like this game is so realistic. Look, I can check my watch. Time passes <laughs> forward. And look, I can go pet this cat. Right. <laughs> uh, or you go to the store, buy things. Yeah, get some milk you know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, get some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, I remember them be like, "Why? Why, why wouldn't you just want to do that in real life?" I was like, "But look, you can do it digitally." Right. <laughs> you can do it here. Why would I buy real yeah. things ever again? Like food. Yeah. I can experience real life all in the comfort of my own home. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it was I, 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 I think it was tough for me as a kid because you know the, the story moved. It was all right for a while, but once you get to the the pier, you know, I, I didn't really understand that just wanted me to like go through all five days of the pier. And like after doing it like two days in a row or right. whatever, three days, I was like, I never want to do that again. And I like, never did. And the story like never progressed. <laughs> and then I never finished the game. And yeah. it was sad because, you know, I, I replayed it recently. It was like, oh, I was like a day or two away from the final battle. But uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that definitely as a kid, I was like, man, this feels like work. I don't want to do work. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was great. Uh, uh, you know, I, I wish there was more battles. I wish that um, things that you did mattered a little bit more. It seemed like it, it kind of really doesn't matter, you know, if you do things in what order you do them in or, you know. But yeah. it, was, it was, you know, it was such an early game that, like, like you know, they, they were, you know, blazing the way for everything. Mm-hmm. Red Theft Auto, all, any open world game that, you know, I can't, it's hard to go back and judge it from the, our 2019 standards. Yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of funny because, like, again, I'll bring up Shenmue 3 because it's just kind of funny, like, how it does really continue on from where Shenmue 2 left off as far as, like, how it plays and all that. And with, like, the original Shenmue, I mean, like, there wasn't too much of a leap from Shenmue 1 to Shenmue 2. Like, there are certain things that, like, made it feel better for sure in Shenmue 2. Uh, but with, with the original Shenmue, it really did lay that groundwork for, you know, why people love this game. It's, it's basically you being in this, like, small, dense 
um, open world, basically. Like, it's an open world, but not, you know, not like Grand Theft Auto levels of open, obviously. Um, you're just kind of like in the small town, but it's so dense and there's like so, you know, you always like see people and they're all doing like their own thing at certain times of the day. And it, it's just unlike that. Like, you know, you're, you're not really going to find like, a part of the world like where there's like no one within like you know miles from you or anything like that like it's literally just like walking distance and um that's always been like intriguing to me as far as like you know being able to kind of get to know like the area that you're in the people who are there what they do like it's very intimate in that case and that i think that's why i love the series so much uh for you know for, for that particular reason and I, I feel like even still today there's no other game quite like that like the yakuza games are certainly the ones that are closest to it um, it's definitely more condensed than the Grand Theft Auto games, but, you know, Shenmue is, is, you know, is smaller still as far as like, you know, the, 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 uh, the area that you cover really in the game, um, as well as the people who you meet that, you know, again, is just very, it's very unique in that sense where it's very intimate. Well, I think that the, you know, the Yakuza series really got it right in that, you know, there's the main story, which honestly in the Yakuza series to me is like a little, I don't know, it's too much. But then you have all these like side stories and they happen naturally as you do things in the world, mm-hmm. you know? So like, oh, you go to the store and like the store clerk helps you and he's like, oh, by the way, like I need this thing or this guy's been robbing me. Can you come back and like help protect me or whatever? And you find natural things that happen because of the actions you do. As you build like relationships there and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so it really makes the world and like the town feel like living, you know, as opposed to you know, you could talk to everybody in Shenmue, but a lot of times they would, and they would have unique conversations with you. Mostly would be like, oh, do you know what this thing is? Like, no, mm-hmm. like, don't talk to me. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's cool that, that, you know, you, that you'd have these little side stories where you'd get to meet the, the people of, you know, Komorocho and it really builds out that, like the universe. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Robert, what really jumped out at you with, with Shenmue first playing it? I think just anything that you did within the game had that nice little interactive level to it like whether you're petting a cat or buying a soda or i mean like you suzuki left uh, and the team at easenet they left like no stone unturned in terms of the activities you could do within the game and it was always just kind of neat be like i've never felt so much power chugging a soda in a game you know it, <laughs> right. it, it was just something that level of play like it, it felt like kind of nailed down like being in someone else's life yeah, and you know there were there could have been some boring aspects to it. Sure, if you wanted to just walk around for all day and pet cats, I don't know somebody does that. <laughs> but I mean, it's just really cool, like this level of interaction that you just didn't see in Dreamcast games at the time. You know, I, I think that's like one of the things I, I liked about the Dreamcast, like the game experiences. I mean, say how effed up you want Shenmue, or I'm sorry, Seaman is. But there was no game like it on the market, right. you know, and technically Shenmue falls in that same category, although it's way more playable and you don't get insulted by a, a, a rabbit fish. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so there you go. So um, I figure we'll also kind of talk about some of the lesser known games here, too, uh, with uh, Shenmue Online and Shenmue City. Um, so basically with Shenmue Online, uh, this was basically um, after Yu Suzuki made like the first two games, uh, he stayed with Sega in order to work on an MMORPG, which became Shenmue Online. Uh, this was never released, though. Um, so basically in this in this MMORPG, players could like have picked like one, uh, one of three clans to join. And like the three clans are basically uh, tied to whichever real characters there were in Shenmue 2. Um, so this was definitely like, uh, like a way I feel like that Yu Suzuki was trying to still work on Shenmue while Sega wasn't going to allow him to make a Shenmue 3, <laughs> more or less. So after, after like the failure of getting Shenmue online up and running, 
there was Shenmue City, which did come out, but only for Japanese smartphones. Uh, there was a PC release that was scheduled uh, back in 2010, uh, but that never came to be. And uh, essentially, this was going to be like a social game that was uh, that was inspired by Mafia Wars, of all things. So um, it's definitely very interesting. Like it was, it was basically, um, you know, as far as what I've read and what I found out about it, um, is a social game. You are kind of like meant to be like an NPC, more or less, in Yokosuke, I want to say. And you have uh, Ryo like basically leading you around like the events of Shenmue, but you're also doing like little activities or whatever like all around the town, uh, but all through your, all, all, you know all through your smartphone basically. So a um, little bit of a uh, weird dichotomy there because obviously the Shenmue series takes place in the mid '80s, and <laughs> obviously there are no there, there are no smartphones back then. So uh, that's kind of something you have to kind of play around with at that time, but. Um, it's it definitely very interesting, like how Yu Suzuki, through hell or high water, was trying to work on Shenmue no matter what. And so I remember after Shenmue City got discontinued a year later, uh, that's when he left Sega and went with Eastnet full time uh, in order to work on Shenmue Three. So, uh, which Shenmue Three, obviously, like a lot of people know, uh, that that started off with like the Kickstarter campaign, uh, where it earned over uh, it earned over six point three million dollars. Um, I believe over $2 million within the first day or nine hours, I want to say. Something like that. Um, yeah, and so that basically made it the fastest and the highest funded video game project in Kickstarter history. I remember this basically shut down Kickstarter when this campaign went up because uh, it was announced during, uh, what was it, like the E3? Um, uh, was it the E3 yeah. well, event it was Sony, for PlayStation? It was a Sony press conference, and I remember like – because we got hit with three big announcements at the time. The first one was the resurrection of The Last Guardian after being away mm-hmm. so many years. The second one was the debut announcement of Final Fantasy VII Remake. And then they hit us with the Shenmue, as if we were not, you know, reeling enough as it was. Right. <laughs> it was like nostalgia, like, back and forth. Like, oh, my God, yeah, like, all these, like, properties coming back or all these developers coming back in some big way. It was just yeah. crazy. <laughs> I mean, there was this video on, uh, I think it was GameSpot or something like that, and the staff was, or Game Trailers. It's just absolutely hilarious. Like, when they make the... Like one dude knocks over a chair, you know, it's like, oh my God, you know, they freaking out and all that stuff. So there, I just linked it. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, game trailers. That's right. But I mean, it's just really nuts, like how that announcement resonated. Like the second you heard the music, you knew what was happening. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, I was there in that crowd for that year. And, so was um, I. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, the, no, no other, like that was, I think, the first time I was like in the industry and I got to go to a, a thing like that. And I was just like blown away, and I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is the best year ever." Yeah. Uh, and then afterwards, as like every other year, you know, both Sony and Xbox. Like, I mean, that was. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, maybe this next year will be. Now we have the new consoles, so E three is going to be real interesting. Um, but it was not, nothing could top that year. You know, like all those big announcements at once. Hype was at all time high. You know, they were just laying in on like uh, on all the Xbox One things that they're going to defeat. Um, it was just a great, great year. I mean, it was very magical in that sense with all the announcements, for sure. It, it yeah. was. Like, Shenmue just floored everybody. It was like, wait, this? Th- this? And even though it was Kickstarter, they were like, I- I'm in. Take all my – shut up and take my money. You know, Futurama style. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, like, my, I was sitting with my buddy Christy Pride, who works over there in the Bronx now, and she was crying. Like, after Final Fantasy got announced, she was like, I, I can't do anything. And then she started crying when Shenmue got announced. I was like – Yep. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's kind of impact it makes that Shenmue. Uh, so Matt, let me ask you then, um, what kind of like impact do you feel like Shenmue has made, like you know, on you, on like the games you love, uh, just just in general, as far as I guess like how you view like even game design too, since obviously you're you're in that crowd. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's a little bit of, hmm, 
Yeah, I, I don't know because on one hand, I think that we that games like that would have happened no matter what. You know, like I said, the idea that we would have simulation type games and like that that, that replicate the reality of, of life, you know, that was going to happen whether or not Shenmue existed. But Shenmue was the first. Shenmue was the one who who blazed the trail, who you know like did, took all the risks. Some of them like you know having this real time clock. Even that, it, they figured out how to kind of make that work better in Grand Theft Auto. Um, but, uh, and so I think that, that he, he was a true trailblazer and that he was the first to really try to do this extremely, uh, uh, you know, just, just ambitious thing. Um, and so I think that, and that it, it has influenced every, basically all games since in terms of especially open world games and anything that, that has like a, a, a city and conversations and, and things like that. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's tough in that I don't know if the, the story and the gameplay have really held up super well and i think that while i appreciate and i'm glad that shenmue 3 exists and I, i'm excited to play it and see the story continue um the fact that it didn't really it's not like final fantasy 7 where they were going like yes we know that everybody wants the old way but we're trying a new battle system mm-hmm. I, I think that shenmue 3 really could have benefited from doing something new uh and i don't know what that would be but it, you know i think this is only going to really appeal to the to the older well fans. but by the same token though I mean, by sticking with the old school, it's not betraying the fan base that understands what Shinmu is about. And by the same token, people that play Shinmu three, they're going to see what it's about, and it's going to generate interest in Shinmu one and Shinmu two, which are available in HD format. So it does mm-hmm. kind of still help audiences, even though it doesn't need introduce anything like entirely new. I mean, I personally would have liked a forklift racing mode by itself. You know, I just like <laughs> do I have to find a forklift in the city? No, I want to race. Let's race. I mean, there might be something like that later on in the game. Who knows? We haven't beaten that's the true. game yet. That's so true. That's there, true. There could be something unlockable there and Yu Suzuki winking in the face as he beats us again. You know, that's that sort of deal. Yeah. But it's, it's wishful thinking. But, I mean, I don't think they could have altered the game to the point where something new was offered and it didn't feel like Shenmue. I think the way mm-hmm. it's set now works perfectly i mean true people who are looking for a new experience may not find it but sometimes it's best to stick with the old stuff because when you make something new and it doesn't quite fit it betrays the fan base and one example gonna bring it up here metroid other m because it tried to do the side scrolling thing but then it told a completely different story that threw things out of whack the first person elements didn't really work as well for me as i was hoping it would it felt gimmicky and it wasn't really the return to form to classic 2D Metroid that I wanted it to be, despite the fact that it had 2D gameplay. So sometimes making changes can be for the worse. Sometimes you want to just leave things on a level that you understand it. I mean, that's why Yu Suzuki did the game, to continue the story of Shinmu in the style of Shinmu. Oh, no, no, for sure. I, I, but I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a happy medium, right? Where, like, you can't go, too, you can't go crazy with it. And, like, it should, be the, it should be what people are expecting, but then you... I don't know. It's even like Metal Gear Solid Two, right? Where you, you like you come in and you they come in with the expectations and you give them what you want and then you subvert it at some. Naked right in, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, with like Shenmue Three, I mean, it is unapologetically for the fans and for the people who love like the original games, with the good and the bad, really, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, you know, I said this before, but like, it, it is, it is uh, truly unapologetically. Um, imperfectly perfect i guess in a sense because yeah the story isn't exactly the most engaging it's your basic revenge tale more or less 
Um, there is a pretty cool mystery behind, uh, you know, especially when you're looking at um, with like Shenmue 3, you're, you're basically trying to find out like, you know, who made like the Phoenix Mirror and all that stuff. So there, there's that aspect of it. But otherwise, at its core, it is a revenge tale. You're trying to find the murderer of your father. Um, I think because of the fact that, you know, it, it is such an intimate series, you know, as I said, like it, it is such an intimate uh, open world type of game where you do get to really know like the characters like in it, you know, they, they really do feel like living and breathing characters, despite how wooden the performances are certainly like with the voice acting and all that, like that, you know, that I, I'm not disputing that at all. Um, it's just that, you know, again, with all of its flaws, like in the Shenmue games and certainly Shenmue three still holds those. Uh, it, it is still a, it's still like a beloved game in a lot of ways. And it's just kind of funny how that is. Like just people just kind of latched onto it, myself included. And that's why it's kind of hard for me to like to say the, you know, like what's absolutely bad about it because what's what's what what can be considered bad about the game can can be considered like almost like rustic and charming and cozy like for like other people because it's like this is like how i remember these games and it, you know with me like having played through shemu 1 and shemu 2 just recently on a ps4 you know shemu 3 really does feel like it comes right after that it doesn't feel like 20 years have passed really at all aside from the visuals that's like the only thing. So it's just kind of funny how, how that kind of played out. But um, it is really one of those like perfectly imperfect franchises that people are either going to love or hate or just be confused about. <laughs> made, made for the purists, you know. So that's- it really is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, speaking of purists here, we have listener responses uh, basically talking about their favorite moments and memories in the Shenmue franchise. Uh, starting off with Jim Landry, who says Shenmue 2 on Dreamcast was the first game I ever imported. Once I heard Europe was getting the only English language Dreamcast release, I ran to EB Games and bought a DCX and I was able to order a UK copy not long after. I finished it within a week of receiving and have been waiting just a month or two shy of 18 years for this next chapter. So a lot of people have been waiting for that even after the uh, the Dreamcast import there. So uh, Christopher Hawk, who says ARG and then quotes the tomato cashier especially since you bought merchandise and then me, I will murder you like Londi did my father. So for those of you who don't know the uh, tomato uh, cashier, that's the tomato convenience store. Um, if you get the, uh, like a winning soda can or whatever, you could trade that in for a chance to draw a ticket and the ticket can turn into a prize. But a lot of cases, the ticket turns out to be nothing. And then the clerk just basically says, especially since you bought merchandise, it's like, what does that even mean? Why are you rubbing in my face? Like, it's just kind of like an odd response. Just like how there's a lot of odd responses really in the Shenmue games, but that's just one that really stuck to mind. Yeah, how is the localization in 3? Is it, is it just as bad as the first two? It is exactly the same type of localization. It is exactly how you would imagine it from the original games. Nothing wrong yes. with that. Yeah. I will take that localization. Well, I, I do feel like that's one of the nice things about the new Yakuza games, specifically 0 and 6, is that they really did a really amazing job of the localization, and they really figured out how to make... The, the scenes work and they changed around as it's not literal while Shenmue is very literal yeah yeah absolutely I mean like especially since like with the Shenmue games at least for me anyway I always played them with the English language and even though I had the option to go Japanese like with the um with like the remakes and also with Shenmue 3 I still chose to stick with the English voice because the English voice for Rio especially is just so charmingly bad <laughs> You know, especially like when people are just are just like responding to him and he, he responds with things like, 
I see. It's like, oh, and then like it's just kind of like very awkward, kind of like like just communication really from from Rio and just like from the people they talks to. It's just really really charming in that sense. Um, then there's uh, James Briggs who says, "So glad they are finally continuing this amazing series." Absolutely, hundred percent agree with you there. Uh, Ruben Jacob Corrales who says, "Always looking for sailors." <laughs> so that was always the thing. Um, with uh, I think that was like Shenmue one. I want to say where um, where like Rio is like looking for sailors because uh, that's gonna you know lead him to like the uh, gang who's like working for Landy and all that stuff. So it's a, it's always like point point uh, point A to point B to point C in those games. Uh, then there's Michael Hines, uh, who posts a meme here, uh, where it says, did not see only car ever to drive through neighborhood. Did see cat. And it's like a picture of like the neighbor that's in like the town, basically. Um, so that's like the neighborhood you talk to, like after your dad dies. And then, um, was it, there's, there, there was like a reports of like a black car or whatever that drove through town, even though no cars ever drive through the town. And this lady says, no, I don't remember ever seeing a car, but she did see that cat that, you know, that they, they eventually like save and like bring to the box and all that stuff. So it was this guy crazy um john quell sanders uh, who also posted up a meme here i will avenge you father as soon as i complete my awesome capsule toy collection <laughs> right see he gets it he understands the importance and uh les barrows it says it had to be the forklift racing totally unexpected but fun so um matt uh, like what did you think about the forklift racing when you experienced that it's okay. You know, I, I'm glad that it was there. I'm glad it wasn't just literally forklifting driving. The actual job part of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't like, um, I don't know. You know, it, it was fine. It, it was fine for like a one-off mini game, but it, it didn't. It wasn't like a, it was an amazing experience. It, it actually felt a little no. frustrating, and I don't know what they could have done that could have made it more interesting, or like maybe like ways that you could like rate. I don't know. You could like lift up things, or like you know, you, depending on where you put the the forklift, you could like break through stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Kind of like but, an arcade version of it, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah it would have been nice if it was, yeah, either it should have been, like, way more realistic, and, like, there would have been, like, ways that, like, oh, you got to balance the weight, you might tip over, or it should have been more arcadey. Mm, yeah, I mean, like, I remember liking it at first. I was like, oh, cool, forklift racing. And then, like, I got tired of it, I think, after, like, the third try of it. It's just like, okay, like, I know exactly what I need to do in order to win every single time and it kind of promotes you to um to like finish the race at different points because you get like different capsule toys for it um but yeah i mean it, it, you know it was like something that was kind of like cool at the time and then you kind of grow tired of it and you just want to want to get past like the whole forklift job part of the game anyway because <laughs> it's just like too much of it at that point so um then there is scott mcintosh who says screw the story collect allowance arcade outrun magical sound shower <laughs> so certainly the uh the arcade was, was a big part of the uh the experience with shemu and shemu 2 um and shemu 3 also has like a bit of that too even though uh, as far as i know it doesn't have any of the sega games in there since uh, sega isn't directly involved with shemu 3 uh but there are certainly still some like arcade games in there that you can i know there's a there's a punching game they There's a bunch of games, yeah, the same one. Yeah. So you can always test that out. Yeah, for sure, yeah. They they have that. They have, like, a whack-a-mole game. Uh, there's also, like, a new game in there where it's, like, you're trying to outrun the cops, basically, but it's a very, like, I don't know, it's a very old-school game, like, where it's, like, mechanical, and you're basically driving a car through, like, dots, and the more dots you drive through, the faster you're outrunning the cops, but if you miss the dots and the cops, you know, are able to catch up to you and all that, so. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting one, for sure. Uh, then there is, you know, the last one here, uh, from Andrew Connell, who, uh, basically, uh, <laughs> he basically gives like a journal entry from his first experience with Shenmue 3, uh, day one of Shenmue 3, after 18 years, I finally left the cave, found a job chopping wood, 44 of Chinese money, no idea what the conversion
conversion rate to yen is like. I split 80 odd logs, wasn't worth it. I've now taken up botany, 450 odd for picking flowers at my pleasure. Tidy. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that, that that is like a bit of an experience. Like when you first play Shenmue Three, um, you can take up a job chopping wood, uh, but you can also pick up like just random, just like plants and stuff like that, like all around. And yeah, if you if you get like certain sets, you can certainly trade them in and all that. So there are definitely better ways of earning money in that game. Uh, than chopping wood and honestly i would say uh to try to pick up fishing early on fishing actually can net you quite a good lot uh if you're good at it so uh so i highly recommend that so thank you everyone for sharing your shinmu uh moments and memories there definitely a lot of good responses there so thank you very much for that and uh robert i believe you have a game code to give away yeah i was going to give away another game but we got matthew here so i'm going to give away a code for toe jam mineral back in the groove on steam this is of course the classic revival uh, to yeah. the musical favorites and a lot of yeah, <laughs> and it's Macaulay Culkin's <laughs> favorite game. So, uh, if you guys have it for Steam, if you want it for Steam, here is the code that you need. It is K zero J P L four X X P six nine C five F N. That is for Toe Jam and Earl back in a groove on Steam. Enjoy, and if you do redeem it, let us know at twitter.com slash arg podcast. And keep an eye on my feed because I might give a few more codes away soon. Stay yeah. tuned. And uh, Matt, since we do have you here, uh, why don't you tell us real quick as as far as why people should pick up this new ToeJam & Earl game? Yeah, well, you know, if you like the old school ToeJam & Earl games, this is very similar. This is the uh, Greg Johnson, who who co-created the original game, is the lead designer on this new one. So it's from the same heart and mind. Um, It's very much the ultimate version of ToeJam & Earl in that it is actually you, you play it and you're like, oh, man, this is. It's, I I think that it's the, this kind of nice balance between cozy. Um, it's very similar to the old school in terms of how it plays, but adds some new presence, adds some new humans, some new features. You can do up to four player now. It has online play. So it's sort of like Toe Jam and Earl Ultimate. And so if you like the old ones, you'll like it. And if you haven't played the old ones, uh, it's a fun, funky, weird, funny co-op roguelike that is not the most balanced or most gameplay oriented, but it's the most fun and wacky and exciting and really fun to play with your friends in, in one room because weird stuff will happen. Yeah. I mean, especially like the co-op. I mean, it is like one of the most fun co-op experiences I feel like that you can get these days, especially for like an old school experience. So if that sounds like a jam, then definitely Toe Jam and Earl is, uh, is the way to go for sure. Yeah, it's definitely jamming and well worth your time. Jamming, indeed, yes. <laughs> speaking speaking of comebacks, one more story I wanted to kind of go through here before uh, we close it up here, episode 185. Um, I did want to let you know that there are rumors indicating that we could see a new Crash Bandicoot game in 2020. Uh, some indications have come up uh, between a new commercial in which uh, Crash is featured racing in a cart and it's time to play, and a little mask character that we've never seen before was revealed. But on top of that, uh, Nicholas Cole, who works for Toys of Bob, who previously worked on um, Spyro Reignited Trilogy, kind of hinted that there was a possibility of the game coming back. And then a PlayStation advertisement featured a new-looking Crash Bandicoot as part of their It's Time to Play advertisement as well. So there is a slim chance that Activision could be working with Sony on a new Crash Bandicoot game. Now, nothing is confirmed yet, but uh, we've included the link there with our uh, show notes there. If you guys want to take a look for yourselves, uh, there is some interesting evidence here. But, I mean, I personally just want to see, you know, an all-star sequel that Crash Bandicoot's kicking butt and taking names, personally. But <laughs> I'll, I'll take a new Crash Bandicoot game if, you know, if it's done by the same team that Vicarious Visions, I'm in. Sure. 
I mean, I feel like we knew that this was going to happen anyway because uh, was it after like the um, was it the Insane trilogy that came out and that did really really well and it is such a good remake of those games and um, you know like how Crash looks and all that stuff. Like as far as like visually, it, it really does lend itself to looking like a brand new game altogether. So I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they basically use like these like same assets for the most part anyway and creating like a whole new game. So I'm definitely excited to see this. Yeah, I mean, it should be a pretty cool game there. Uh, Matt, what do you think? What Would you would you want to see a new Crash Bandicoot game? You know, um, maybe. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I played the, the remakes, the new ones that came out, the remastered. And, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it with some good nostalgia, but I would hope that the, if they made a new one, they would, it would need to play differently. I, I think that, it, you know, the, uh, that style of a lot, how a lot of the things worked just felt a little dated you know mm-hmm. obviously um and so I, I don't know how they could do it again where they would they would have to find a way to modernize it while keeping that core gameplay loop you know and of, of the spinning and so i i'm not i'm not sure i mean I, I would love to see them try um but i would i would just you know i would like to see something a little different like yeah maybe- same here actually yeah because i mean like if we can get like maybe like more of like a 3d world that crash bandicoot can like run around in whatever um, but maybe like add in like some like mini game parts to it, maybe that are kind of closer to how the older games played. I think that would be something that both sides of the fan base can enjoy in that case. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like that this franchise definitely needs uh, something fresh and new to kind of like, you know, to make it more modernized in that case, for sure. I mean, there's always possibilities there. Look at Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. It's got an open world that you could basically explore and go through, similar to how the original Crash Team Racing did it. So maybe Vicarious Visions will take some notes from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, also wanted to give some shout-outs here to our patrons, Francisco Limas and Mac the Ball. So thank you very much, guys, for helping support the show. And if you, too, would also like to support the show, you can check out our Patreon at pa- uh, patreon.com slash rcast. Uh, where you can see like all the, the different like uh, all the different perks and stuff that you can like uh, you know buy into. Uh, you can become like a guest on the show. You can pick like a topic for us to do on the show, or you can also just donate like a dollar uh, in order to just help us uh, you know help us keep on keep on going. So thank you very much for helping support the show. Yeah. And uh, Matt, where can people go in order to find you online? Well, you can follow at Toe Jam and Earl, and uh, that's where you can. You are both Toe Jam about. and Earl, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, well I, I work with one other person, uh, so we actually kind of do some good like back and forth on there. Um, you can also follow at Watch, which is just just literally at Watch on Twitter, uh, and that's for Neighborhood Watch. Um, and um, and yeah, so basically that's where I spend most of my time online. Um, but. I mean, awesome. with, within like an hour, he, it looks like there's tweets about the war on Christmas, uh, having to do the bathroom, and then playing Shinmu online. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Follow, follow that feed. It, it's almost as much fun as Art Podcast. There you go. <laughs> it, it's basically just like stream of consciousness, but it's, you know, through the eyes of Toe Jam and Earl. I mean, it's so good, like, in that regard, as far as, like, you actually communicating as the characters in that case. So you do, like, a great job with that, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, but it, it's fun, because, like, yeah, I get to do it with, with uh, this other guy, Nap, and... Um, me and him have some really great, you know, like back and forths, and and it's it's, it's, it's like we're basically playing this like parody role playing account in a way. Yeah. Have you had any like run-ins with the Sonic the Hedgehog Twitter as well? Um, I mean, we've interacted with them a little bit, but you know, I, I think there is a little bit of like the like we're you know we're we're low we're lower tier, you know, so like we we you know, but uh, so we need we just need to figure out how to get up on that Sonic the Hedgehog level, so that way yeah. they'll want to hang out with us more. So going from like the intercontinental title to the to like the world championship in that case, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, right now we're at like the U.S. title. So oh, okay, gotcha. 
<laughs> for sure, for sure. And uh, yeah, that is Arcast episode 185 in the books. And uh, if you would like to follow the Arcast on Twitter, we are at Arg Podcast. Same thing with Facebook, facebook.com slash Arg Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at The Guilty Man. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash the DCD. You can also check out my work at gamepur.com, mmogames.com, and pcinvasion.com. If you'd like to send us any feedback, opinions, retro games, or topics for us to cover, or anything at all, really, you can email us at argcast at retrozap.com. And be sure to check out retrozap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts. It's your home away from home if you're crazy about Star Wars, Animaniacs, or pop culture in general. There's also us with Argcast, so be sure to find us on iTunes to subscribe, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. So there's absolutely no reason to not follow another retro gaming podcast. All right, that is episode number 185 in the books. Until next time, keep it retro. And remember, no one can tell you what to do when it comes to collecting capsule toys. Do what you want. Collect as many as you want. I don't give a... a father's murder, you know, the murderer's still out there. So just collect your capsule toys. There's no excuse, but the capsule toys will not always be there. So collect them while you can. Yeah. Especially because they're, they're cool. This is cool. Gotta yeah, catch they're them cool. All. <laughs> Forget Pokemon. Get the capsule toys, guys. Come on. Maybe I should get another. You get another. Yeah, maybe maybe you should get another. And, and another Arcast episode maybe after this. Too. You know what? Yeah. So what, what's going to happen now? The Toe Jam and Earl Twitter accounts could be like, oh, look, I found more capsule toys. <laughs> Yeah. It's a whole day of nothing I can hear. The capsule toys I found, they don't look like us. Damn it. Right. (laughs) But get out there. Enjoy the Shenmue games, guys, and we will see you next week before the Thanksgiving holiday. Catch you later. Bye-bye. This is John J.P. Podlasic of Game Dev Advice. I'm a 30-year veteran of the game development industry and have a podcast where I interview artists, animators, programmers, designers, CEOs, and all different types of people that work in the game development industry. Whether you're an aspiring or an experienced game developer, you'll find useful, thought-provoking, and sometimes funny advice on the podcast. So check it out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.